Hi guys, welcome back to the Opioid Lights podcast. Today we have a really special guest, my good friend Josh Booth. I've been friends with him since I was about 11 years old at boarding school and we've shared some great times together but in his early 20s he unfortunately lost his dad to cancer. This is a conversation that's been long overdue. It's a conversation that I wish we'd have had sooner. But ultimately, we chose to do it on the podcast because we thought it might help some of you guys listening. I think Josh speaks about his whole process really candidly. And it's great to see that he's come full circle with it now and that he's at peace with the situation. Um, I hope you guys take something from it. I certainly did. So without further ado, here's Josh Booth. I hope you enjoy. Josh Booth, J-Bomb. Welcome to the Earthy Delights. How are you doing, my friend? What's the crack? Oh yeah, um, it's pretty good. Thanks for having me on. Firstly, it's been a while since I've I've spoken to you, Seb. It's uh, <laughs> yeah, been a couple of years. And uh, Jim, nice to meet you. Likewise. Um, yeah. Well, what what is it that you'd like to know? <laughs> what... Well, before we get into the the deep dark secrets of the world, um, I think it's important just to say, like, uh, I know Josh through boarding school through Skegness it's a bond uh a lifetime bond for people that don't know Skegness isn't in uh, Scotland it's actually in Lincolnshire but um we went to boarding school together Josh you were two years above me yeah yeah that's right yeah yeah so you were year nine when I joined as a fat chubby kid in year seven not much has changed since then to be quite honest uh just less hair and more of a beard but we grew up together basically even though like you were in year nine um do you kind of want to just first first and foremost talk about like boarding school and like what it was what it meant for you and like how you look back on it now because i think a lot of people at least in my experience josh i don't know the same for you but like when i tell people i went to boarding school they kind of assume i was either a really naughty kid and my parents sent me off as a punishment or that we were like etonians and anyone who's been to skate grammar knows that that's definitely not the case. So I was wondering, but I always look back on it really fondly. And obviously we have, we share a, um, a common friend in Michael, who's been a guest on the podcast, shout out Michael. Um, and he looks back on it really fondly as well, whilst it had definitely had its ups and downs. But I think most people who went to boarding school really loved the experience. I just wanted to know, like, if you kind of felt the same and how you look back on it now with like hindsight. Um. Yeah, I think I, I kind of fall into those kind of same kind of broad kind of categories there. Like nowadays yeah. when I'm at work or I'm, I'm, I'm with a group of friends, they kind of think, oh, you know what? I'm really partial, really, really, really well off. Parents mm. like, oh, but my, my circumstances are very different to a lot of people. My my parents were uh, in the forces, um, which meant that uh, we were moving around every 12 to 18 months. So instead of having like a broken education, they stuck us in, my brother and myself, into Skeg um, just to make sure we had kind of continuity through our kind of GCSEs, our A-levels. So I had to have a good education. Lucky enough, my grandparents lived in Lincoln, obviously about 40 miles from Skeg. So we had something to go back to. It's kind of like a central hub. Um, so that's kind of the only reason we went. Um, I didn't really have much of a choice. Um, I think... Looking back on it, it was probably the best choice for us at the time. Um, it was, it was, it was all right. It was, it was all right. Um, I'm not going to say it was perfect. Everybody had no. experiences of it, and I can your experience, my experience, and Michael's experience are very, very different. We all had kind yeah. of different, different kind of experiences there, which kind of molded the kind of uh, lifestyle we've chosen today. 
Mm. Um, I think um, those kind of relationships we formed, like you and, you and me, um, you and Michael, Michael and myself, they're all very different now. Um, we've all taken kind of really different paths. I think it's all kind of the way in which we kind of were treated while we were at school, the way we kind of managed our friendships with one another and kind of the yeah. and the social circles we kind of surrounded ourselves with at school. Um, and I kind of look back on that and there were some things which I probably look back at and think probably could have done without um, or I probably could have done better of. Um, mm. I think more to, towards maybe Michael, I probably could have directed more friendship towards him a little bit because it's a little yeah. bit more stagnated now. Uh, whereas like my friendship with you is probably kind of uh, lasted the, the test of time a little bit better. Mm. Um, obviously, there's only just a little bit of distance there, which is always difficult. But I enjoyed Skag. I, I, I did. I did. Um, I enjoyed kind of the the football matches we used to play at the school. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I enjoyed the weekends where we would just like flood that TV room. Um, yeah. I, I'd say more positives than negatives in my, my kind of experiences there. Um, but it all just stemmed from the fact that my parents moved around a lot and they wanted me to be with my brother, you know, and I think, mm. I think from a social perspective, it kind of helps going yeah. forward, you know, especially into university life and stuff like that. But yeah, really, really good experiences. For sure. I, I was wondering for people, sorry, Jim, do you want to go ahead? I was just going to say, uh, this is on my mind recently a lot, how it's an unconscious decision, but how big of a decision it is for you to go, oh, I'm going to spend a considerable amount of my free time with these people because these people essentially like create your perspective around like what's a good job, like what's a, a nice life to aspire to live by in, time, in terms of hobbies. Like it, it, your, friends has so, your, your friends have such a big impact on inevitably who you become uh, and it's all unconscious like it's all like you didn't you yeah, didn't go sorry yeah sorry i think it's because we're all kind of like-minded or around the similar age obviously there's only two two years age difference between seb and me and one year between us and michael and uh it's it's michael's an only child and seb doesn't have any older siblings you know you kind of create that basis of like because you're around one another it's kind of like a family environment and i think mm -hmm. you fall on that and you rely on that a lot because you don't see your parents you know every weekend you see them like once every three weeks so you kind of have to rely on these people luckily enough for me i have my actual brother in in that environment as well but he had his own social circles and his own friends to you know be with and do things with and a lot of the time it's quite it was quite difficult to see your friends from school at weekends especially when you're in the younger years you know you don't have that flexibility or freedom so you kind of have to settle in quite early and um bed your friendships with them really early so that, that, i think that's it helps especially when you're living with them which helps it kind of stand stand that test of time you know so it's, it's it's really worked out for everybody but yeah really really subconscious kind of effort but it wasn't always rosy you know, we had that fallouts. We thought we, you know, just like any other brothers, you know. Yeah, I think like that's the thing as well, because when people who haven't been to boarding school, I think they think they find it cliche when we call like our friends that we made at, at boarding school brothers or sisters. I mean, Skegness was uh, unique in the sense that we lived in a shared board, like a, a shared boarding house. It wasn't all boys. So whilst like the dormitories obviously were one wing was boys and the other wing was girls, during your free time, you were, you were living 
um, hand and foot with girls and boys from yes, like I said, I joined in year seven, but you were joining year seven, but then, you know, Josh's brother Seb would be in year 11, there'd be sixth formers and you would play football with the whole gamma. So you'd be in a football team and there's like 18 year olds who like, I remember, I always used to think they looked like giants when I was like 11 year old playing football against them. And then when I was like 18, I thought, oh, I'm nowhere near as big as like the sixth formers when I joined and stuff like this. And I think Josh and I and Michael, I think we kind of saw a bit of a sea change um, from when we joined, Josh more so, but from when we joined to when we ended up leaving in the sense that I think when when we joined at the start of it, it was still very traditional in the sense that like seniority ruled uh, whatever the year 11s or sixth formers said when uh, you would often get like beatings. I say beating, it wasn't like they'd punch your face in, but they would give you like, petrol pumps josh you know chest taps all of that stuff and as a and as an 11 year old you're completely at their mercy there's no way that you can like fight them off and yet when we kind of went into that age group where you know we could have done that to year sevens it kind of we'd faded it out by then and that never really happened like we'd maybe do it to each other maybe but we wouldn't do it to the younger to the younger um year groups and i think that had a massive because i remember like josh one of your like arch nemesis was angus if you remember correctly um Uh i had billy (laughs) yeah i had billy was like my like arch nemesis he was like my like we always had like personal bullies and then they'd pick on like one or two of you um specifically uh and I think it kind of toughened us up really quickly. And like you said, you had to adapt because there wasn't the parents that you could go home to. You couldn't call up. And there's no, even teachers, you couldn't really tell teachers because once the lights went out and it was bedtime, you're all in the same wing. So if you snitch, then, okay, the teacher will tell them off there and then. But then once it's bedtime, they'll just like wreak havoc. Do you know what I mean? Because there's no one. Yeah, but do you know what I mean? There's no one there. So they can just do whatever they want. And you're like an 11-year-old fighting against a 16, 17-year-old. But at the time, is like an unwinnable battle. And I think as well, that also helped us probably form like even closer friendships between myself, Josh, and Michael, whoever it was, people in our own age group. Because we were all going through fairly similar things, albeit with maybe different people, but like we all had very similar experiences in that sense. And so then when like Josh calls it, like when he calls them the brothers or whatever, it really is like that because whilst I've maintained a friendship with some people from Skegness who didn't go to the boarding school, the there's that level of awkwardness when we don't maintain contact. And I'm not sure if Josh, if you agree with this, but like I spoke to Delapa recently um uh, yeah <laughs> yeah he was an he was a american came over and uh i hadn't spoken to him for a year or two and we just like jumped straight back into it and we, yeah because there's I think that bond yeah i think it's really i think you, you you're really right um he came across to england a little while ago maybe a year or so ago and I, yeah i think i touched yeah. base with him and we spoke for a good hour or so just on the phone like it was just something really casual and just you know i understand you went out and visited at one point but Mm. Um, because he and I, we, we roomed together for a year as well. So, um, but it was, it was different because we were in different social circles at school, but we're in the same social yeah. circle in the boarding house. And that kind of is, um, another thing, but yeah, I don't really talk to those kind of people anymore. You know, I think it's just really you and Michael, which is, it's a shame, but like, I don't really regret that. I don't really regret that because people go off, they do different things. You fall out of contact and like, you just look at them you look at their lives, you compare it to your own, you say to yourself, well, if they wanted me to be part of that, then, you know, they would have made a conscious effort. Don't forget, I left, I left Skeg after my lower six 
I moved back home. And apart from yourself and Michael, had very little interest in anybody keeping me in their lives. So I was really quickly, easily detached from that. You know, mm. so obviously you were coming back to Lincoln. You actually left as well, didn't you? You went yeah. and changed schools. And, you know, yeah. it was really easy for you to then just detach yourself from that environment. And then we were able to continue, like, our friendship and obviously with Michael as well. So Yeah. Although it's really it, it's really tight-knit at the time and, like, going forward, it's really tight-knit, especially between us three. Um, I think the idea is that you can easily detach yourself from it when you need to or if you can. Um, because it's not, you know, friendships are two-way street, aren't they? You know, it, it's not mm. just one person putting that effort in. It, you, it needs to be reciprocated. Yeah. So, um, I, thought that, I thought that was, well, it made it a lot easier leaving school. Mm, for sure and one thing i'd like to kind of talk to you about is like obviously we've spoken about boarding school i think people have their kind of preconceived um conceptions of what that may look like um hopefully we've dispelled some of that but you mentioned at the start of the podcast that your parents were both in the military so when you say your parents are both in the military and then you went to boarding school i think you can there's a narrative that can be set there that you kind of had this really kind of strict upbringing and blah 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 but i know for you that wasn't the case especially the relationship that you had with your dad so like and then with your with your granddad as well um who i've met a few times a lovely chap but do you want to just talk about the relationship that you had with your dad because i always looked at it and thought it was a really special relationship more so than most others i thought yeah um i mean Growing up, I like to think myself more as like a dad's boy. You know, you always have like a mum's mm. boy or a dad's boy. And my dad was always like go-to when I was at school, if there was issues. Um, I kind of felt like because of his 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 occupation, his military background, if I had an issue, he would know how to sort it out. So it was a case of because of his ability to resolve issues or manage things in the right way it was a case that i would go to him because if i had an issue i didn't know how to sort out he would know how to do it so i kind of felt myself always kind of just like talking to him and it really carried it's always carried on not just from school but like when i moved home <clears throat> when i left when i left skeg i moved home it was it wasn't like an, a zero tolerance of things it was expectations of what he wants to see from me things like go to college so you can then get to university because you know you want to go to university. And these are the steps you can take to get there. I want you to get a job so you can start to understand the value of money so you're not always wanting to ask me for money, things like that. So there's, it wasn't just me looking at him saying, like, he can resolve my issues for me. He would help me figure those solutions out for myself, um, which allowed me to kind of uh, appreciate him as a person rather than just my dad, if that makes sense, because he's worked hard to where he's getting he wants me to take those same steps he wants me to understand the value of money he wants me to understand the value of hard work and reaping the rewards of the hard work going to university when you get a good grade and things like that however if things didn't go my way he would come down on me like a, a sack of spuds you know um if there was any issues with money and i'd be like look dad i've burned through my week's wages going out with some of my friends from college can you can you spot me to get the bus for the week? You'd be like, it's not my problem. You know, I've helped you get the job. You, you've done that, and you know you can't you can't be doing this. But like, you'd always just dish me a ten on the side for a mega rider for the week, you know. Or I could just go and ask Sharon, you know, can you sort me out with a mega rider? Um, you know, my parents, my parents have been fantastic throughout. You know, both me and my set, me and my brother said, um, 
growing up and I think my, my dad has been like a really, he's been a solid um, kind of figure in us becoming the people that we both are. Um, it's always easy to kind of talk about myself in the, in, in the kind of the, the dynamic I have with my dad, but it's always been my brother as well. He's older. He's not just my, it's my, not just my dad. There's my brother who I can also learn from. My, my brother's really clever. You know, he's got, you know, he's a doctor now, you know, there's all, all, all these kind of people in my life, but you know, my dad is kind of like this hard worker, knows the value of things, knows how to get the right answer in the right way. You follow those kind of steps. You're going to get there. If that makes sense. Mm. So it was easy to kind of create that relationship with him. That's not saying I don't have that same relationship with my mum, but my dad was kind of just that get shit done kind of guy. You know, you you, you got to learn from that. Uh, do you think your relationship with your with your dad changed at all when you left boarding school and then like you were then living with him on a day-to-day basis? Because I noticed that with my parents, it changed somewhat when I came back home after living five or six years away and only seeing them once a month. Yeah, yeah, it really did. It really did. Um, we were on each other a lot, actually. We were on it. We'd, um, my parents had actually just bought the, the family, first family home. So I moved in when they bought that house. Um, my brother had gone to university, so it was just the three of us in, in the house, and it was kind of like we're on top of each other a lot, just like how you and I used to be on top of each other mm. a lot. Like the dynamics of friendships or relationships, if you're always around and they're just constantly, you know, overwhelming. I mm. can imagine a lot of people have experienced that during like lockdown, but like me and my dad, we had a good, good relationship, good, good friendship, but it was a case of like, I don't want to do the wrong thing because I know he'll come down on me harder now because there's a higher expectation of things. Is my room tidy? Like I'm 17, do I really need to worry about my room being tidy? But my dad's a military man. He's going to come mm. to his finger and see if there's any stuff. <laughs> you know, um, has he asked me to get something out for dinner? Um, you know, get some chicken out of the freezer and I've remembered to do that. I haven't done certain things because I'm not, I'm not working for a living at the moment. I'm at home. So there are things around the house I can do to help kind of make sure he's not, you know, not in my case. And I find, I found that if I showed any form of kind of like laziness or this, it would be a case like, look, come on, pull your finger out. Let's get something done. You know, help your mum mm-hmm. in the garden, you know, hoover up or mop, help us out with the house. It's a brand new house. Let's, let's get, get stuff done. So yeah, we, we found like we were on, on each other a lot. And, uh, I don't think it put any stress on our relationship. I think it just it just kind of um, it just took its natural course, you know, um, being a, being apart for a long time, seeing each other every three weeks, to then being seeing each other every day. It's kind of like that that reforming and that storming phase of kind of a cohesive relationship. If that makes mm. sense. Yeah, of course. And then. I wanted to, there's no really, there's no way to like kind of transition into this uh, naturally, or at least I'm maybe not a good enough presenter to do so just yet. But um, I wanted to know, like, how did that relationship, because you, like you said, he's almost quite authoritarian as a dad, you know, military man and so on. How did that relationship change when, when your dad fell ill and maybe more responsibility was put upon you as a young man? And just want to talk about that whole process. Yeah, I mean, it was it was massively um, unexpected, as as those kind of diagnoses are. Um, I was a, I just finished my first year of uni in Chester, 
um, and I'd come home. Um, and it wasn't until we'd come home that we got told. So my brother was in his third year at York. He'd come home for the summer and he'd sat us down and they told us. Um, so what was the diagnosis, Josh? Um, he had a um, throat cancer or mm-hmm. some form of kind of tonsil cancer, um, mm. which was at the time it was they, they mentioned it to be really non-invasive, and you know, you know, they always keep the prognosis really good. And it was kind of just a step of like, well, we'll see how it goes, and you know, things are looking good at the moment. You know, very early days. And yeah. I found it when when going to the dentist. So it's like one of those ones where you're like, well, I should probably go to the dentist more often <laughs> if that's the case, like, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was a really, really, really strange to come to terms with. And it was like, well, I'm at home now for 10 weeks for the summer. Uh, my dad's still working. I can't really see him, but I need to get a job, you know? So the, the kind of relationship was exactly the same um, as it was when I'd left school, being away for a whole year to come home for 10 weeks in the summer. Mm. A case of coming home, being on top of one another and then going back. So the relationship didn't, it was, it was good for like the first three or four weeks. We'd go to the pub, we'd enjoy, you know, their family time. Cause we've all got summer birthdays. You know, my dad was July, we're June. Uh, you know, we would go out for family meals. We'd go out for beers on a, on a Friday night after everyone's finished work. And, you know, it's, it's really, really good. And then like my brother would go back to York early, you know, to do his work and saying work on his disc. And I would stay at home for a little while longer and it would be a case of like, well, I don't have my brother to bounce off. My college friends, I meet up with them maybe once a week and I'm not going to see Lauren for a little while longer because we've got a holiday booked in September and then I'm back to uni the week after. So I made the most of it and like I tried to work with my dad with it a little bit. And we, you know, it was, it was a good relationship and we didn't, we didn't argue. We tried to make sure that there was enough space to kind of maintain like a, a healthy a healthy kind of relationship we weren't getting on top of one another and there was no room for arguments it was just a case of like well do your thing i'll do our thing we'll come together at the end of the week and we'll just enjoy the weekend so it was nice it was nice and then obviously obviously i went back to uni and then things obviously just progressed that's you know just progressed from there so um i get a call i get a call once a week from my dad you know how are you getting on how's uni been to the doctor this is what's going on nothing to worry about at the moment and there's a constant kind of reinforcement that there's nothing to worry about so yeah carry on with doing carry on with uni work and don't worry about anything you know so you're like okay yeah fine you know that's 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 golden i'll just do what i'm doing you do what you're doing and then <laughs> i'll see you at christmas mm. that's, that's that's really kind of kind of it you know we, we maintained a good relationship i think it kind of thrived a little bit when we were away from one another um a little bit more because you kind of value your relationship a little bit more with your with your parents because you're away from them um and yeah it was it was, it was always nice i can remember him coming down hard on me because i had a I had a scooter and i forgot to sawn it in my second year of uni so i come home and i would used it in the summer and when i went back i had to sawn it off the road and i completely forgot he hounded me for it and i completely forgot or i couldn't afford the 50 quid saw and then they they sent me a fine in the post, the DVLA, and my dad called me up. I was I was actually in York with my brother for the weekend, and he called me up, and he went down on me hard because I didn't do this. I've had to pay this 250 quid fine because you've not paid a 50 quid storm bonus. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, he never let me live that down. 
<laughs> Josh, uh, you mentioned when you were over the summer, you were trying to uh, make sure that the relationship was healthy and maintained a, a solid ground, solid communication. But I'm interested, do you think he was able to ever express like how he felt about the the disease, the illness? Or was it always kind of like, okay, first and foremost, I'm going to let Josh know that it's going to be okay. And then... Yeah, well, sorry, I go on, sorry, Jim. No, sorry, that's it, that's it, that's the question. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty much, it was pretty much making sure that my brother and I were both okay, first and foremost, but there was always this reinforcement that things are always going to be okay. Um, I don't know if it was like, kind of like a denial kind of thing for him, but it was always like a, it's going to be okay, they've said it's going to be fine, and I'll, you know, be all right by Christmas. So we're like, yeah, fine, we've got nothing to worry about because you don't seem particularly worried either. You know, that's 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 really all it, there is to it. And I think it was more him kind of like processing it in his own way as well. Um, kind of just saying, like, I'm going to be all right. I'm going to be all right. Which is kind of the mentality you want anyone with that kind of illness to have. Um, so you've got to kind of admire that. Um, a way of kind of managing kind of their, their feelings of being scared, their feelings of, you know, what it could potentially turn into at that stage. Because it's so early, early, early doors. And the doctors have filled them with all this kind of information to say, look, there's no reason to be worried at this stage. So, yeah, of course, like me and my brother would then just think, you know, nothing of it. Just crack on and just enjoy the summer when we're at home. Um, yeah, that's pretty much really it, I would have thought. And then do you remember the point where you thought, oh, he isn't saying uh, it's going to be fine? Or like, do you remember there being, oh, this is this is really something that's, that's concerning him. Um, concerning yeah, yeah, there was there was like a clear defining point where um, he'd explicitly told the family that he was free, cancer free. Um, he'd explicitly told everybody, and we were all like, "That's fantastic news! Fantastic news! Great news!" But my mum was like, "Yeah, it's not quite accurate. It's not what they've told you. Um, it's still there. It's more of like a benign kind of thing." Um, so saying that kind of was like, ah, right, okay, so it's not gone, it's still there, should we now be worried? Because it's been two years now. Okay. Um, so he'd had all of the biopsies, he'd had all the tests, he'd had all the blood tests, and it's like, well, surely something, surely something. And then um, he goes, right, fine, nothing's happening, I don't feel any worried, I'm not dropping weight, everything's fine must be must be free from it and it's like well okay fine and then mum's like no it's not really the case and then they stamp them with chemo that's when like the the kind of the hard-hitting kind of medication comes in you're like ah okay right now it's something to worry about um so it's kind of like it was his way of kind of processing it and his kind of way saying well this is how i'm going to choose to read the situation um and i don't think it was completely honest with the rest of us, which which was difficult at the time. It's probably I would know, still difficult now because you don't want to be fed that bit of information, um, especially when like the hard hitting kind of medication starts coming in. You're just like, well, this is gonna completely wipe them out leading into Christmas and into you know next year. So I was like, well, should probably think about coming home a little bit more frequently, being around to help mum out and things like that. So, yeah, I think it was that clearly defining moment which kind of changed my thought on, you know, what was going on. Interesting. It's um, 
because I, I just remember, like, I, my memories obviously not as good as yours during this period. But for me, like, when my mom was sick, it was just, um, it was like, oh, yeah, like, mom's doing this or like, mom's away, but like, it's going to be okay, you know? And so, like, I never really had a decent idea of it until very, very close to, to my mom's death because. I guess I think my family thought that it would be best to like politely lie or politely give uh, this information. And yeah, I, I don't know. For me, I think it, it, it made the shock completely worse because I, I really thought it was going to be okay. And then all of a sudden I know it's not going to be okay. Um, and I wondered, was it similar to you where it, it, it came a, a very jolting, Oh, okay. Now, now it's now I'm noticing people's uh, communication about it is different. My dad is being different about it. Yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of when I when I graduated um, Chester, so my third year. So we we got the diag the original diagnosis for my the end of my first year, and I'd moved home after I'd finished. I started my masters and. The summer of my third year when I got home was was terrible. Um, I we'd come home. My dad had been through kind of all the chemo and all the all the stuff while I was at home through the summer. He was starting all these trials and he was gradually losing weight and um, the kind of the cancer was becoming more invasive around his neck um, to create open wounds. Um, so it was visibly noticeable that this thing was attacking so it wasn't just a case of losing weight you know you can often see you know with these kind of things they kind of protrude from the neck so it was covering them up and there was a there was a week where he had a, a very bad bleed so it actually come through the skin and it bled and it got to the point where it was like you know what this is really really getting bad because it's coming through the skin so we went, he, he got admitted to the hospital for um, a few days um, and had a surgery that, because what happened was one of the masses of cancer had attached itself to the carotid artery, which is the main artery which runs to the brain. It's often the, the artery which clogs up, which causes stroke. So it's a major artery which runs to the brain and it had attached itself to the main artery. And what, what, they'd, what they'd had to do was open it up to get as much of this tumour off as possible because if it wasn't going to happen through um, a bleed or kind of the way that it attacks the body, it was going to cause, you know, a major bleed in that artery which would have stopped the oxygen flow to the brain. It sounds really, really nasty all the way around. It's kind of you've got, <laughs> you've got an army of orcs here, an army of urukai here, and an army of, like, devils over there and you're like bloody hell well you know and you've, all, all you are is like Frodo Baggins stood there like absolutely helpless like they they ended up there and that that day kind of signing kind of like DNRs you know really serious pieces of paperwork which they kind of like you know what let's it's kind of acceptance now that this kind of thing is gonna gonna take my dad and I can remember being there and then he got he got released and we went and had a, a long weekend in Norfolk with the rest of the family. Um, I was like, yeah, you can go. You've got to be careful. They they put a stint into his stomach because he couldn't he couldn't eat 
So they had to feed him through tubes um, in his stomach. Um, and we, my mum and I, we both learned how to administer like this uh, sachet food through this machine, and it was horrible. It was it was really 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 horrible time. Um, we had a nice weekend over in Norfolk um, in a nice cottage. My grandparents were there. My uncle and my cousins were there. Um, my brother wasn't. My brother wasn't there. Um, but we just kind of um, just turned a blind eye to the illness and just wanted to just chill out, relax. And, you know, he was becoming a little bit more less and less and less kind of my dad and more kind of an acceptance of this, this kind of illness, which was kind of heartbreaking at the time. Um, you know, he was, he was suffering and it wasn't, it wasn't nice to see. And I'm sure, I'm sure you can probably kind of understand yourself, Jim, like when, when that happens to somebody, try and kind of distance that as far as you can. Well, I know I did. I distanced, I tried to distance myself away, away from my feelings of how it made me feel to kind of help care for, for him and help my mum and help manage how my mum was feeling, you know, because like my brother said, my brother wasn't there and, I was trying to help my mum and help my dad. It's just one of those things which you try and help kind of tick over. Did, so, did you have someone that you could kind of express this, diff, like obviously this tremendous difficulty with your, you're seeing this like happen to your dad on a daily basis. You're trying to help your family and you're also going through it yourself. Did you have someone that could kind of, just be a, a kind ear for you and kind of help you with this or was it only until later where you kind of got to fully express yeah i mean um i've, I've got my girlfriend lauren we've been together for almost seven years now so big shout out to her for wow. me for that long so <laughs> she, she was she when i when i left so she was the year above me at chester so she 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 left before i did and then I moved back home when I'd finished. So we were, were maintaining a long distance relationship for a year or so, a couple of years. And she was always there. She was always there. Um, we saw each other every weekend and like she would come down or I would go up just to kind of distance myself away from that, that environment. We would talk every night on the phone just to kind of talk about anything, you know, even if it was just her day, you know, just to kind of allow me to kind of distance myself from it. I think the one the one thing which I didn't do at the time was talk enough about it. And I think um, really this is kind of the, the first time where I've actually kind of sat down and gone, you know what, this is what's happened and this is how I felt at the time. But um, I think I think I'm kind of mentally robust enough to kind of accept my own feelings but not be kind of overwhelmed by them. But I don't want that to turn me into some kind of like, robot where like, yeah. I don't feel about it because I can remember the feelings on the day that I lost my dad and <clears throat> it was carnage absolutely yeah. carnage and then I just kind of internalized everything and was like look I don't want to feel like that I don't want to feel like that because it's probably a good thing that it's turned out the way it has because it's not really the way I want to remember him you know that mm. illness so it's, it's, it's just one of those things but yeah Lauren was Lauren was a hard shoulder for me, you know, the whole time, massive pillar of support. She still is, to be honest, still is. So it's mm. fantastic relationship and really, really grateful to have her in my life. So. Yeah. I think like 
as your like one of your friends it's probably like one of uh which we've like i've spoken to you about it before but like one of my biggest regrets is that like during that whole time we didn't really speak about it that much like the only time i think i remember it kind of coming into like any sort of like real consciousness was when i was at your house that time I'm not sure if you can remember where your granddad dropped off the keys without coming into the house and we laughed about that and uh you josh decided to show me this trick about how to cook pesto pasta that apparently no italian had ever stumbled upon which was putting pesto in the water of the pasta according to josh according to josh this made the, this would infuse the pasta with the pesto which uh i mean if he goes to italy he will get reprimanded for that yes. I'm sure, of course but, <laughs> yeah but um but i remember that day because whilst it was a nice day just me and you i remember your parents i'm not sure they're coming back from a hospital visit or coming back from a weekend away or whatever it may have been but i remember your dad coming in that day and like you said he was wearing one of the scarves um to like cover up his throat and he lost like because he was quite a big like big burly man and that was at least that was the image i had from the photos you were showing me at boarding school and whatever else in, in, in his um military days and then it shocked me how much he had deteriorated because you'd always maintained a positive, like uh, a positive kind of um, mindset to it. And I think partly it's because maybe I didn't ask you enough. Uh, do you know what I mean? I kind of took like your positive answer and then like ran with that instead of keep on checking up on you and, and, and so on. Um, and I want to know, like, do you think, like obviously it's great that you had Lauren and you still do have Lauren, but do you think that, uh myself included do you think that it the reason you didn't speak to your friends about it as much was because you weren't willing to talk about it or because or do you feel like if your friends had asked you you would have been an open book yeah i think what's important to acknowledge here is that you were actually there as a friend at the time um you saw i mean you still are a friend not just not just then (laughs) but still now but um, I can remember receiving, you know, um, a card from you and your family in the post with a poem in it. You sent flowers um, mm. to my mum. You know, you guys were there as, as 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 closely as you could be at that time. And I think I think you you kind of burden yourself too much with kind of worrying about how I felt at the time with you know you not being there when you you know you were you you did what you could. Um, mm. Like I wasn't expecting you to knock on the door with a lasagna in your hand saying, I hope you're all right, here's a lasagna. You know, yeah. I, I think what you did do was was more than enough. And I think then that kind of puts a lot of effort on, on us um, as the people who've come through it to then reach out and say, look, it was it, it really meant a lot what you did, you know, so probably mm. more, more so on the fact that I kind of didn't respond enough, which is probably why you're having such a negative kind of experience of what, you were doing as a friend and I don't think you need to do that so probably more on me who should have probably come around to you and said look thanks for that that meant a great deal and that helped me get through it but also as I said the fact that I internalized my feelings that you know I don't mm. really I've not really spoken about them because one it was probably my first major kind of loss you know I don't really know how to kind of articulate those feelings other than the fact like I know they're bad you know the, those those feelings of loss and those feelings of hurt and pain. Like you don't want them, you don't yeah. want them, and so I, I kind of just internalised it. So it's me not wanting to talk about it because I don't know how to talk about them, which is probably the main kind of issue, um, rather than me not wanting to talk about them at all. Because if I knew how to, or I knew what to say, or knew how to kind of 
articulate what those feelings meant. I probably would have done at the time, other than the fact, like, I need to see my brother, I need to see Lauren, or I need to see my mum. Make sure that they're okay first, because my thoughts of feelings weren't first, weren't about myself, they're about whether my brother's going to be okay or whether my mum's going to be okay, you know, because my mum's been with my dad, you know, 28, 29 years, you know, longer than I've been around. So come on, let's, let's sort her out first, you know, so. Yeah. But as I said, mate, you, you really don't need to worry about how you were because you you, you do as much as you could. You know, mm-hmm. I wasn't expecting you to to come and do any more than what you already did. Um, yeah, it's a hard one because I always felt like like the flowers and stuff. It's a nice gesture, but I always felt like in the grand scheme of things, what does that even mean? Do you know what I mean? Like the guys lost his dad and we're sending him a flower and a poem, and it's like, poof. but then. I don't know, we were younger as well. I'd like to think if it happened now, maybe I'd react differently to it. But what one thing that I kind of stuck out for me was that later on, so this happened, when, how old were you? I'm just trying to like put like the time frame down. How old were you when this all happened? Uh, 22. 22. So I was 20? Yeah, it must have been 20, yeah. So then about like two years later, was when kind of all the shit hit the fan with my family. So you'd had kind of two years to digest all of the stuff that happened with you. And uh, so when like the divorce happened with my parents and the Italian fiasco and everything else, you were like really there. And I remember we went on a drive just like randomly down one of them. I think we we went to go and watch a football match actually when you told me. Yeah, it was Rotherham away or something ridiculous. Rotherham away, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Rotherham away with the mighty imps. And it was just good. And I would I really, um, like for me, that was kind of like a standard that you set that day uh, where you were like, look, if you want me to, because you knew that I was going to fly out to Italy to talk to my like my family. And you were like, look, obviously I can't help in that sense, but I can come over, I can come out to Italy with you if you want me to and this, that and the other. And I wondered like, from like you from your own admission where you were this guy who internalized all your feelings didn't really speak much about it to then two years later were what i would now describe as like the standard when someone when a friend's going through something like the standard of how to act and and react and be there for your friend do you think that that the passing of your dad kind of helped you become that person and kind of be more empathetic and, and some like do you think you would have reacted the same way had your dad not passed for example I would have liked to have thought I would have done the same. Um, mm. I think having known your family for quite a while and knowing, you know, you, your sister, your mum, your dad, from mm. very early on in my life, being around your house a lot, kind of, it kind of was a, still a hard hitter because everything always looked from the outside very mm. tight knit, very loving, full of kind of, um, you know, gusto. I don't really know how yeah. to kind of say about it, but seeing those kind of hearing you speak about these things that were happening with you at the time, you know, they're kind of like, mm. well, crap, you know, what can I do to kind of help you get through it? And I, I think I would have done the same. I'd like to think I would have done the same because I can't really, mm. I can't really say, um, but it's nice to see that you think that that's a gold standard of what a friend would have done, you know? It's, yeah, for uh, sure. It, it, it means a lot, but I don't think, I don't, I think even if you told anybody, anybody who knew your family or anybody who knew, the whole situations that you were going through, I think they probably would have offered kind of similar kind of things because they were terrible things. Yeah. I mean, you'd like to think so. I, I wonder, I, I always talk to Jim about it and like, obviously he went through it a, a younger age than you, but I always wonder when people who go through 
really hard times almost then become like the kind of uh nominated shoulder to crime within the friendship group because you're almost the man with experience i was wondering has that like happened within your friendship groups i know you have like loads of different ones but now that you know i mean because it's not normal to have uh, a parent pass away at the age of 20 uh, 22 like do you think people your friends that maybe come to you whether it's a passing or whether it's something else come to you because you've dealt with it and you have come out of the other side like commendably um I, I'm not. I'm not too sure, to be honest, mate. Uh, my my uni friends, um, my my small group of four, uh, James, Luke, and Johnny, and myself. Um, they've they've not really. I don't want to say they've not experienced any of these things. Cause I'm not I'm not a hundred percent entirely sure, but mm. relationship issues they always vocalise. It's like, well, I'm not a pro on that. You know, I just just have a, a good one and it's you shouldn't compare it to me you know they allow my dog died as like, well i don't really know how to help you with that one um i mean it's, it's pretty it's pretty terrible and it's like well I, I can't help you with it because i don't know what those kind of feelings are like you know um you know but things like um stress they're stressing about jobs stressing about work i can remember my friend james was like uh, i'm stressing i've left my job i'm going into a little bit of hiatus like i took a couple of days out and i went down to london just to see him for a few days just because he lives in a flat on his own it's like well no one wants to be in their own headspace and i don't mm. i don't i don't see myself as that friend in the friend group that's just because i've been through a terrible experience that it necessarily means that i should be that short of the client I, I don't know if that's with you jimmy you, do you find that as well like just because you've had it doesn't necessarily mean you need to be that person. I I don't know if I think I need to be that person, but I know that the experience of my mom passing has definitely just made me someone who who is probably more interested in exploring uh what what i think i needed uh so it, when you're here when i heard you talk about um your process after it did remind me where when my mom died i remember uh my friend neil my best friend when i was a kid i just spent all my time with him and he was just the funniest guy in the world and i just laughed so much and i remember those those years after it was just fantastic and Really, it was only until later in my later teens where I it really just... I mean, of course, it was there. I mean, my mom was just not there, and that was a constant reminder. But it was really only a few years after that I started to, like, oh, God, like, this is this is such a profound loss for me. And, and it, it made me think that, really, all you can do is meet the person where they are. So, for instance, if my mom had passed now... I would I would really want people to to be able to listen to me because I think I, I've reached a level now where I'm very happy or very keen to express myself in, in any way I can. But like I said, when it happened at this age, I wasn't. And it was just a very sad thing that a lot of people didn't really know how to react. And it's just very difficult. difficult. And you, everybody is in their own place. I mean, obviously, me and you had very different backgrounds. And it, it is... It's it's so interesting for me because I guess unconsciously I like when you when I heard you talk about uh, these experiences being bad, 
I, I totally know what you mean. Like, it's just the, the most, this it's the strongest thing I've ever felt, probably. Like, just like this inside kind of like falling apart kind of thing. Um, but it, it's funny. I remember when I began processing this in my late teens, I kind of would think about that day that my mom died and I saw her in the bed and I would break down, like I'd cry, cry. And this would happen quite often until that that image was almost not as horrific as it was before. Like, it's almost like I saw it in a different light through go- going back there more and more, like more accepting more that my mom was in pain and that this was this was better for her um, and that I guess my my view on life has changed now that I I guess I can feel that my, like there's a part of my mom with me now so but, but sorry like to, to, to bring it all back it's like I don't know if my friends think that uh, I definitely don't think that it's like my duty but for instance, like you said, w- w- when your friend was going through a tough time in London, I, I, like when my friend's dad died this year, I knew I had to go home. It's not like I felt like it was expected of me. It's just this is what I what I have to do. Like it's just th- this this person needs me. I know, you know, um, or I want to I want to at least show him that I'm there if he needs me. Um, but yeah, I I. I guess it's it's totally different to where you're at, you know. Do you, th- Josh? Do you think you've like? Um, I'm not sure if you ever fully come to peace with it, but like, do you feel like you're at that stage where Jim says where maybe the memory of it doesn't hold so much power anymore, and that like you can talk about like your dad's almost, you know, you can bring it up in any conversation without it bringing up like huge emotion and, and levels of trauma or do you feel like you're still at a stage where you only are happy to talk about it with certain people in certain circumstances and and uh well it's good. that's quite a different that's quite um a strange one for me i think because because of what what the illness was and where it mm. my mm. dad lost his uh, completely lost his voice um and couldn't talk the same way so by the, by by the end he didn't sound like he he did when you know yeah. so now four years this year so uh next month um it's really really sad but i can't remember what my dad's actual voice sounds like um mm-hmm. which is kind of the worst the worst thing so i have all these fond memories and uh but my memory is very tarnished because I think of like things like going out and power kiting with my dad and hearing him laugh and things like that. But the laugh that I hear isn't his own. It's the one that he had at the end. So I find it easier now to talk about the issues that he had um, or the issues that I had with his passing and my kind of memories of it because um it's quite, yeah, as I said, it's quite a difficult one. I don't really know how to articulate still, um, yeah. but I, I I don't have any issues really talking about it now because my memories of them are so, so distant. that They, they feel like a, a long, long time ago now because everything that happened during then felt like such a long period of time that at the end it just wasn't my dad. 
I mean, it wasn't. Mm. Yeah. It wasn't, it, it wasn't him. So when I'm when I'm talking about like that, I don't talk about like the last three years. I talk Got about every, everything before it, which is which is nice and only fond. Mm-hmm. Um, so those three years, everything is just tarnished, and mm-hmm. it just doesn't feel like what I'm talking about. Because like we we didn't create any new memories together in those last three years because there was no capability to do it. There was no ability to do it. Um, mm-hmm. It was just a case of me going away and doing things. And then, you know, telling him about it, if that yeah. makes sense. So, yeah, yeah, I find that I find it easier now. Obviously, it's been more like a few years since it's happened, and you and I have never spoken about it. But that's mm. not that's not because, as I said, that's not because I didn't want to. It's probably because it's just me not understanding my feelings on the matter. Um, yeah, I can go on. Sorry. No, yeah, no, you're, it's just, it's one of those, I think for me and you, like, I've got another friend who, unfortunately, like, his dad passed away when he was at school, and um, I always felt like this complex uh, about not bringing up my dad, because normally, you know, it is, like, if you bring up a dad, then the other dad kind of comes into play, and all of a sudden, you're talking about both your dads and whatever else, and I always felt like this complex, like, I don't want to, I'd always feel, like, touchy, like, don't bring up a topic where potentially your dad might come up because I didn't want to like trigger anything again. Do you know what I mean? So it's good to hear from your end that you're happy to talk about your dad's, you know, like we, we spoke about them. Like I wouldn't want to talk about the military, for example, because I don't know when that would come up, but like, because I know that, you know what I mean? Potentially your dad will come up there. So I didn't want to create that conversation, which would then lead to a trigger where it's good now that you can like bring your dad up in, in conversation when it, when it suits and it doesn't, you know, you look back, like you said, you look back on it fondly. I think that's a really, really like positive step forward. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I completely, I completely agree. But um, I think there's always going to be like those kind of those, those, buzz, those buzzwords with, with people mm. conversations. And you, you have to, you have to talk about these things. And I think, I think me kind of bottling up, bottling them up over the past four years has kind of been, just my way of coping with it, and I think I think mm, it's, it's it's a good thing because it just mm. it's, it's kind of shown me how robust my mentality around it is. But it's also kind of made me feel a little bit vulnerable in the sense that like it's probably not been good to kind of fester on them because like small things they still kind of make you think about it and you get a little bit upset about it. You know, certain songs or you watching certain TV. You know, like the the other week I went back. To Lincoln, and I, um, I brought back some of my dad's old records for the record player, and you know, there's certain things which I can remember him listening to in the car, and you're just like, wow, blinding! Like, let's mm-hmm. just change, let's just change that because like, I just learned to kind of internalize that feeling, and you know, I'm not really talking about, it. I'll just put it onto the next track and not worry about it. Yeah, you know, and I, I don't know where you're at with Jim. Do you find yourself sometimes doing the same thing? Like if you find yourself like being overwhelmed by something, you just kind of internalize it or do you kind of feel like it's better just to let it out? I, I know, I know exactly what you mean before. And I thought an unfortunate um, consequence of that was that for other things, I couldn't really express myself Um the way I want, uh, like authentic, authentically. But recently, I'm going to say like the last three or four years, um, like like you said, when I watch the movies or when I listen to the music or when I have these memories, I let it all out. Uh, and it, it, feel, it feels good. Like it feels like this is, this is a perfectly 
normal natural reaction and that I, f- I feel better for it like it, I feel I feel like like to me it's it's like you can uh, you can look at it like this is a loss but then often I think oh this was this was beautiful like this was in my life this this enriched my life this has uh, contributed to to where I am now um and it, it yeah it, it has really helped me even subsequently being able to express myself really in other areas because I know what you mean like oh this is difficult and I can anticipate uh, me maybe starting to cry and then then people are going to feel uncomfortable I'm going to feel uncomfortable then but I I think if like for me it was really helpful to kind of just accept that right here here's where I'm at like here is when I watch this movie or when I listen to this song or when I watch this photo I break down and then it, it's not always going to be the case like there's there's going to be a time where I look at the photos and I just think this was this was beautiful like this was fantastic um but it, like I know it takes it can take somebody like decades it can take people weeks it, everybody's different depending on mm. on the, the the specific circumstance but but for me it really did help man like it really did like letting it all out was just like like honestly like I feel like lighter it was just it's really it's really hard to describe like I feel like 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 a new source of energy has just emerged you know it was um yeah. josh do you do you think because you know, jim i forget if we said this before the recording or after the recording but you're going to italy soon and uh you're like going to uh, look look back at some photos that your mum took um with your dad and like your dad like still finds it somewhat harder than you do anyway josh for you is that is that the case like obviously you're at a certain level but how is it like with seb when i say seb people don't get mixed up i'm not talking about myself in third person i'm talking about his older brother who's also called seb um or like your mom like can you jeremy when you're sitting around the dinner table or whatever it is can you happily bring up your dad or is it or is it like a lot more sensitive with your certain people um i guess it's uh circumstantial conversation a lot of the time um Mm. We don't, I don't I don't think we we just bring them up in conversation just nonchalantly like that and you know just like a normal topic of conversation yeah talk about dad for the sake of talking about dad it's like if we're around and like he had this bad habit at the dinner table where like if he'd finished his dinner beforehand like he would watch somebody in and open his mouth and eat it with them if you know what I mean uh, right. really really off-putting and like uh my brother has the similar habit and, you know, and I kind of identify and point it out when it happens. And in mm. the dining table at home, you know, there's my mum has had like his medals um, and stuff framed and it's in the dining room and there's a picture of him mm. there, you know, so it's, like, it's, it's always knocking around. Like there's pictures of him all over the house. I've got some in the flat. Um, but I, I, I don't think anybody has any problems talking about it, but it's not, it's not, That's good. it's not like, let's talk about dad this evening. And no. Of course, topic is like, well, he, uh, let's do this. Oh yeah. That reminds me of your dad. He used to do that. Oh yeah. Tell us more about it. You know, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's not a tough topic for anyone really anymore. I think the only issues surrounding it is that mum's on her own and like, she's living in this big house. She's like a bean in a can. Um, we don't really. Me and my brother don't really talk about it. Me and my mum don't really talk about it. 
it's just like when we're all together it's like when the family's all together and it bring, brings up everyone like laugh, has a laugh about it and you know it's, it's 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 nice and as i said like we don't really talk about the times when it was poorly it's more like mm. you look at those memories you created when they were good um for example a few years ago lauren and i went interrailing and we met up with my brother and my mum in rome to finish off our trip and we went to like some of the restaurants which my mum and dad went on their honeymoon one year we went and had a drink in a couple of the pubs just because it was like she you know it's familiar for her she just wanted to mm -hmm. feel like there was a little bit of in there and knocking around and it you know it was nice it was nice you know we didn't mind doing that there was no tears it was just like oh yeah me and your dad went here you know let's have a drink yeah fine let's go in it'd be nice mm. you know it's 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 one of those things and like we go to the place like the cardinal's hand in and we go to the straight in there yeah you know they were two of his favorite places like, well, let's just go let's go have a beer in there because it's, you know we like yeah. it and, you know we can sit in you know one of those familiar areas where you used to sit and it, it just feels normal it feels familiar and it's like well if it does come up in conversation no one's going to get upset about it because you're in a happy space no, that's really good. Like, I'm really happy to hear as well that you're in your family's in that space and that that you're not haunted by what used to be like good memories and good places and that you can actually go there and kind of rejoice and, and remember in a, not in a forced way, but just in a lovely kind of natural way of doing it, which is, I think it's probably the best, I don't know, Jim, I think it's probably the best you can hope for now after, after something like this. I know uh, in my experience, um, my dad didn't really talk about my mom. And uh, just this week, I had a chat with him, with my sister. And uh, like, again, it's it's like, it's that line of uh, appreciating and accepting the person where they are in, in their, like, in their grief. But I also, I also believe, like, like what you said, like what I said is very beneficial. Like, I love hearing stories about my mom, you know, and it's it's really it's really nice like it's she was a huge part of like she's the reason i'm here you know it's a mm. and i know for a lot of people it's difficult to talk about this but then it, it has a, a consequence for some people like me where sometimes you're like oh wow like i'm i'm not forgetting but i'm there's just been a long period of time where this person has not been mentioned and it, it's like josh said as well it's not like Oh, let's designate time here from five thirty to six, and this person. <laughs> yeah, but it's also like when it feels natural, let let's do it. Like you know, like yeah, there's, there's it, it, yeah. For for me, if, for instance, like when I talk to my auntie about my mom, I f I feel like like catharsis. Like it's just yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, Josh, Jim, sorry. go on, so, go on, Jim, go on. No, where are you going? Go say, on. Where are you? I was going to say, like, it remind me, there's, like, two, like, obviously, like, cultures deal with it so differently. Like, I think in the Aborigine culture, like, when someone dies, you're not allowed to mention their name anymore. Um, uh, it's, like, a disrespectful thing. But then you, I think you might have, you told me this, Jim, or if not, somewhere. Um, there's, like, a quote from someone that says, like, the, you only truly die when, like, the last person who remembers you dies or when people stop speaking about you or something along those lines like you keep if people can keep the memory of that person alive then then they have never truly died like if it's something i'm butchering in that line so badly it's disgraceful but like it's a really nice sentiment whatever that line is and like i feel like what you're doing josh and what you're doing now jim with your with your uh, with your dad and your sister is kind of like to that theme where like you're still 
keeping them alive in a sense where it's not like let's just banish them to the past and let's never speak about them ever again and what happened happened and we can't ever revisit those topics and i feel like if it's a really healthy relationship to have with like passing and with grief you know um and something that i think people who are maybe listening to this who have either just gone through it and maybe can't see the light at the end of the tunnel or or know a friend who's going through it or whatever the case may be i think that's like a goal that could definitely be something to strive for because it seems really just i don't know like you said cathartic like really a nice way to remember you know to like i don't i don't talk about my nan as much as maybe we, i should do for example and i think about that now and i think why is that the case you know it's 13 years down the line and we still every now and again it might pop up but then it's literally a one sentence and then it's back banished to the memory again you know um yeah i don't know yeah it's it's uh it really is just like accepting like for me it's like accepting that this is where you are this is where you are but maybe like i guess i never asked myself the question but like if you were to say to me like uh, in five years, you can look at these photos and, and you can just think, wow, this this person was amazing for me. Like, this person showed me love. This person showed me everything. It, it, it's like, oh, God, that's amazing. But it's real hard at the point where you're looking at the photos and, and you're in bits and you're like, oh, I've lost this. But, it, like, it, I, I think everybody's going to go through a different process. I know my friend personally is going through a different process. And, it, like, th- there's... Th- I don't, like I don't even like I know what you mean like it, it would be a nice goal but yeah it's like you can't really set goals I don't think with this no. kind of stuff. it's I think like an acceptance of where you're at can help you so much yeah mm. um Josh I did want to ask um how or if the relationship between your family changed um after your dad passed um it's a really good question, actually. Um, I can't, I can't speak um, about the relationship between my mum and my brother because I don't, I don't know how that is. Uh, it's never been bad, um, but the dynamic has changed because my um, my dad's my dad's parents, my grandparents live a couple of miles up the road uh, from my mum back in back in Lincoln. Um, there's, I think, the relate their relationship was always good. Um, but now that now that um, he's not around anymore, I think it's uh, it's quite a difficult relationship because there's there's no expectation for I think they see my grandparents see as if there's no expectation for them to see my mum anymore because there's not that tie with my with my dad being there. So it's quite mm-hmm. a difficult relationship to be. Um, obviously, with the year it's been this year, she's she's been a little bit more present because they're, they're older than she has she's been helping them around and they help her with the dog and stuff like that so there's some form of like working relationship mm. i don't think there's any love lost really between them at the moment obviously she's she's there to help and she's in you know but i, I don't think like they would call her first and foremost if there was you know a problem i mean my my relationship with my grandparents as well, my, me and my granddad has always been quite good. Um, my grandma and I have never really seen eye to eye. Um, she's she's more of a firstborn kind of like her, so she likes my brother a little bit more than me. Um, which is no, which is no, like it's not, it's not un, uncommon. I wouldn't have thought, but I, I, it's it's definitely known across the family that she prefers for firstborns. Um, 
So they never really call, but they never really have done. So it's one of those ones where they, my granddad really hit, was hit hard with the loss of my dad. Um, he really struggled and like, he's, he's never had it the same way again. You know, birthdays and Christmases haven't always been the same for him since he's, he's been there. And my grandma gets into the habit of saying things like she's only got one son left, my uncle, which isn't, which isn't the case. She's got two sons. She's, one's just passed away you know so her her way of kind of articulating it is like well I had two but now I don't um my relationship with my mum is good um my relationship with my mum's always been good um growing up my dad would go away quite a lot on detachments with my brother being older he would start school or go to university earlier than me so there would always just be me and my mum at home um so growing up I spent a lot of time with my mum um I call her quite a lot, um, and she's 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 doing she's doing as well as she can do. And I think the main important thing for us is that I just keep keep her kind of keep her close by calling her and letting her know. Because um, I live in Manchester now, so it's like, well, I live all the way up here, and she's all the way in Lincoln. Like, I can't be traveling home. I can't be traveling to Lincoln every weekend, not with my working and stuff. So it's like, well. I keep her calling and I have to book weekends off like every like two or three months just to make sure that she doesn't feel alone and stuff like that. Mm. Um, and then the, my relationship with my brother is, you know, it's always been, it's always been good. He's one of my best friends, you know, it's, we don't talk about these things. We just talk about everything else, you know, it's, it's yeah. just the normal, a normal kind of sibling, you know, relationship. It's not bad. It's, it's always been good. We bicker about small things and we, you know, we enjoy each other's company and, I saw him a few weeks ago. We caught up for a beer, and you know, it's you know, I catch up up with them as much as I can, and I probably see my brother just as much as I see you, Seb. You know, that's how yeah, frequently, yeah. but like, you know, it's, it's 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 all it's all. I see my relationships as I see my friendships. It's all it's all got to be based on mutual kind of respect for one another. And mm. if if I don't get called back from my grandparents, you know, and I'm the one doing the calling, like it will slowly whittle down, and I won't I won't speak to them. Uh, my mum calls me once a week. I call her once a week. You know, my brother maybe once every two or three weeks we call each other. So it's like, well, there's the res- there's the res- the mutual respect there. There's the mutual love for one another there, and we maintain a really good kind of family dynamic mm-hmm. between us all. So especially within you know us three now, and I think I think the idea is we're going down. Lauren and I were going to go down to my mum the first week in November, which is when my dad passed away. And we're going to go over to where we scattered him in uh, Norfolk for the day, which would be really nice. Um, and doing stuff like that, you know, so we still we still keep things, you know, nice. And we don't want to see it as like a, you know, like an annual pilgrimage or things like that. But like, because we didn't bury my dad, we scattered him. We've got somewhere to go to. And it just works out that it's, you know, a long way away from Lincoln, so it does sometimes feel like a pilgrimage. But it's, uh, <laughs> the relationships are great. The relationships are great. The dynamics are still fine. Um, what about you, Jim? Have you found like anything changed? Obviously, it was a. Uh, it happened to you a lot younger, didn't it? Didn't it? So, yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's difficult to answer because I guess there's been like several stages of it. Uh, initially, I think. I kind of just spent a huge amount of time with my friends laughing, maybe like unconsciously not really wanting to talk about it. Um, 
but also uh, I said this before with Seb I was really lucky that we have uh, a great extended family that we're just super supportive and even after the whole like I'm sure you notice like if someone passes then like people are at the funeral and people say you know please call me if there's any help if you need anything or whatever but like my family would really just be there like years later for things that they knew that we needed help for or if we asked for and that was super helpful because um yeah it was it was it was it was like i lost my mom but then i i really had several other um women in my family that treated me like with so much love that obviously they couldn't replace my mom but it was just it was so nice to have that um and then as the years gone on i think uh, i think it's it, it was just always important like, important for me to be close with the family like you said and and my friends i am quite honest with like like i mentioned before it's real difficult for me to kind of beat around a bush for a while and so like so i will tell you like oh if i'm going to say something i'm going to say it and 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 I have several really good friends that are there for me, and I feel really lucky for that. But um, w- one thing that I did want to ask also is um, my friend, uh, he he lost his dad when he was, I think he said 21, and he said that it completely changed how he viewed life um, because his, his dad went from, quite healthy to dead i think within like six nine months it was incredibly quick and it really changed his perspective on like oh wow if it can really just go that quickly i better do what i want my life to be uh, or go about trying to do that and i was wondering did it did it change things for you where you where before you had this life and you were doing these things and after it was like, okay, I, I need to prioritize this, or this is really kind of silly, or this is. Um, yeah, slightly, slightly. Uh, not 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 so much because I've always kind of had the same kind of good social circles where I've always enjoyed the things I'm doing, um, traveling and all that kind of stuff. So the year after my dad passed away Lauren and I took a month out and just like she quit a job I finished uni my master's and we just went traveling it was really great every year we try and get to somewhere new this year we went to Dublin just before lockdown happened which was which was great quality time you know we try we try and get, get out and as much and do as much as we, we possibly can and I did very little in terms of um new experiences with my dad um he often did a lot of things with just my mum which is which is fine you 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 expect that between two people who have a relationship you know you don't always want to bring your kids in we went on you know probably four or five good family holidays growing up which i can remember and it never really meant that my view on the things that i do should change it just meant that I should probably just enjoy them a little bit more um, and probably kind of maximize those opportunities a little bit more. If I'm not happy with something that I'm doing, maybe possibly reconsider it or completely change it, like jobs, for example, or kind of directions. You know, because I'm more so kind of taking on the advice of 
take value in the things you do and appreciate the things that you get. Um, you know, like what I said at the start, he told me, you know, the value of money, the value of hard work and all those kind of things. And if you're, if you're not enjoying it, you're just doing it for the sake of it. Is it the right thing to be doing? Maybe that might be the case of it because you spent a long time in the Air Force doing one thing. And there was a lot of value in what he was doing, you know, for the wider community and like the country and stuff like that small cog in a big pond but it was like well what value did he take from it because he wasn't being valued by people above him he wasn't getting promotions it was like well the reports are showing he's doing really well but you're not rewarding them for it so it might suggest to me like if i'm not enjoying it then just move on from it because there's always going to be something better so my out my, my view on life hasn't changed and my view on experiences hasn't changed, but I've taken more kind of starch out of kind of the lessons which he tried to give me, if that makes sense. So whereas like back in the past when he was still alive, I would have just gone, Yeah, you know what, makes sense, but am I gonna do any of that? Probably not. To me then realizing, you know, there's probably a little bit more to it than just just emptiness and just a little bit of starch. I'm taking like full advice from it and just utilizing it a little more maximizing my learning opportunities and you know those kind of experiences i'm doing i'll go to dublin for, for three days how many pints can i get in me in three days and things like that <laughs> you know because back in the day i probably would have gone you know what i'll go and i'll probably just just enjoy it the best i can but now i'm like you know what let's do as much as we can in as little mm. time as possible kind of maximize that opportunity and that, that experience you know try and get the most out of it so yeah, yeah. So just to kind of summarize, taking more from the lessons rather than learning, or, or rather changing my view on my life because of it. If that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, I get what you mean. Beautiful. I, it's a that's a perfect segue as well. I think into the to the end of the podcast where we always ask for uh, tips and tricks on how you maintain um, your mental health and how you keep it in tip top shape. So. Uh, I'll be interested in hearing what you have to say, J-Bomb. What have you got to share with us all? Um, so for me personally, um, mm-hmm. I've really, really struggled with this year, um, probably more um, like the rest of everybody else. I've really struggled with this year. I went into went on to furlough for five or six months and I completely lost kind of my motivation to do absolutely anything. I started yeah. really strongly. I was riding my bike. I was running. I was, you know, doing things which I would just do, you know, daily and enjoy. Um, I lost myself completely with it. And, like, I just needed a little bit of structure with my life. But now that I'm back in, to keep myself kind of ticking over and keep myself, you know, mentally robust, as I've kind of referred to myself as a couple of times, probably not as prime as I should. But um, I love my running. I love my cycling. Mm-hmm. I started getting back into playing football again and enjoying enjoying that process. And I try and keep in touch with my closest friends as close as possible. Probably not as much as I should do with you, Seb, but mm-hmm. uh, the guys who I lived with at uni through three years and the guys who I really um, developed close relationships with. And I think the support I receive from from Lauren as well is is great and the kind of conversations the things we do getting out as much as we can I think real life experiences and um, doing things helps keep your mind really sound and 
it would be it would be wrong for me to not mention this um because of because of my work there's a lot of people who are experts in their fields for example mm. so just for the benefit of this i'm a I'm a strength and conditioning coach at Category 1 Football Academy and I work with football coaches, I work with performance coaches, I work with psychologists and there's a, a performance psychologist who I work with called Laura. Um, she She's helped me previously with just kind of settling my mind through like kind of uh, employment anxieties, you know, if you get a little bit of bad feedback and it's just kind of a sense of just discuss, discussing those kind of issues and she's really helped kind of help me articulate what my feelings could potentially mean um, and how I can kind of like settle those. So I think discussing things with people, uh, whether that be people, friends, colleagues, uh, people you're in really good relationships with, getting out and exercising is probably up there as doing that football, running, you know, cycling, anything which, you know, gets your heart pumping and makes you feel good about yourself and just creating experiences going out and doing things mm. get a thrill watch a scary movie you know go on a ride or something like that you know something which gives you a little bit of Trailer. feeling yeah, yeah something a little bit of feeling you know drive a fast car you know those kind of experiences that make you feel alive you know they're, they're, jump you in know. a cold shower absolutely 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 jump off a bridge into a river if you have to you know <laughs> You know, we have people that do it here. You know, I live on a river. Just, just you'll probably just see it here. I live on a river. Beautiful. Oh, nice. You know, so it's like there's a couple of bridges and people just jump in and it's like you hear them screaming and they're enjoying it. You know, do things like that, you know. Just don't get caught out. <laughs> exactly. There we go. We're not promoting any nefarious behavior over here in, on the Epi Deluxe podcast. But uh no, it's been it's been beautiful, Josh, and I'm glad we've finally got around to having this conversation. Although it seems kind of paradoxical that we'd have this conversation on a podcast rather in, than in private, but hey, that's the way of the world sometimes. Um but no, it's been really, really enjoyable having you on and I'm really happy that you we got to have this opportunity to talk as well with Jim here as well. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been it's been really good and I'm sure we'll all catch up for a beer when, when we can. For sure, for sure. Thanks so much, Josh. Really appreciate it. Hi, guys. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star review if you haven't already. Every review helps us climb the podcast charts so that even more of you can listen to our amazing guests. We really appreciate the support. Remember to tune in next week. But until then, keep safe and have a good one.